0: Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation and mysticism. You can learn everything there from chaos magic to hermeticism, to meditation, to how to supercharge your finances and take absolute control of your destiny. In short, you get all of the tools you need to turn chaos into beautiful, scintillating order and master your life. It's incredible. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show quite a lot but check it out. It's growing fast. And I just want to say, if you're confused about where to start, because I have so many courses there, the adept initiative is the place to go. The adept initiative is the flagship course on magic.me. And it contains everything you need to know to master the most profound ancient techniques of changing your consciousness and the most modern and cutting edge tools and systems for absolutely turning your life into a masterpiece. You're really going to dig it. Go check it out, and I will see you in class. It's magic.me, M A G I C K dot M E. All right. So, your book is Psychedelic Buddhism. Why don't you welcome to the podcast? Thank you very much for being on the podcast. You want to talk a little bit about the general, uh, generally about your book, and actually, why don't you start off talking about yourself and your background, if you don't mind?
1: Um, well, I was born in Cardiff in South Wales in 1948 um, when I was a teenager I was really um, quite left-wing and uh, very much against nuclear weapons and a nearby high school when I was 15 had a week of talks and lectures by uh, people they'd invited along for the purpose and Every uh, day, except one, had some really interesting uh, left-wing speaker. And um, uh, we were allocated which day we were to go on. And I was... Unfortunately given, or oh, fortunately as it turned out, but at the time I thought it was unfortunate that I'd been given the Tuesday, which had no political speakers whatsoever. Um, I chose to attend a particular um, speaker because I, I thought as a Buddhist, he was speaking about Buddhism, I I considered him to be a foolish uh, person of weak intellect who had been perverted by exposure to some um, Asiatic god cult. And I I turned up with, I'm I'm desperately trying to remember what my attitude was at the time, Um, but it's... um, It's a mere 60 years ago, so um, it's not that difficult. (laughs) And uh, when he spoke, I objected to almost every um, sentence that he made, every proposition that he came up with, I had an objection to. And then at the end of the lecture, I went up to him and said, that was fascinating. Where can I learn more about it? And he was shocked. He thought, uh, "Oh, he said that he he, he thought I was um, uh, completely against the subject because I brought up objections to it." Um, well, he should have known, uh, because it's written in the Buddhist scriptures that this is the way you're supposed to react ah, yes. when you us to experience everything. It's challenge everything you find dubious. Make them spell it out, mm. and um, I, I, I told him, Though no, I found it, you know, he had all the right answers. They completely satisfied me. For one thing, he um, he said that there was no soul. We hadn't got. A, an an immortal soul. And
0: very, I, diff, very difficult for Western people, I think.
1: Yes, and yeah. I, I I considered this, and I thought, then I think you're right. And so, uh, from him, I got the address of the Buddhist Society in London, at 58 Eccleston Square.
0: Is that just as a tangent? Is that the one that Alan Bennett started?
1: Yes. Excellent. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, sort of fascinating uh, connection. Moment, yeah. For a moment, I thought you were talking about the playwright.
0: Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. The, <laughs> the uh, Deku Ananda Mataya. Uh. Yes,
1: yes, exactly, exactly. Yes, yes. There's a portrait of him in, the, in there somewhere.
0: Yeah, Alist- Alistair Crowley's mentor. And I, I have, I'm sure you get this all the time, but I have to ask, given your interest and last name, you're not related to Alistair Crowley by any chance, are you?
1: No, in fact, I'm not. Okay. Because, uh, uh, he was a Crowley. And his name comes from a village in Cheshire. And it's quite a rare name. Hmm. But many people came from that village. I, on the other hand, am a Crowley. And although uh-huh. it's all the same, it's an entirely different lineage. <coughs> Mine is an Irish name, hmm. which was originally spelled something like... Uh, uh, C-R-U-A-D-H L-A-O-I-C-H
0: Interesting. Okay, well, I had to ask. Uh, just, <laughs> excuse might might
1: me, things
0: just, just the Alan Bennett thing was so interesting. So, so you went to the, the Buddhist Society in, in London?
1: Right, and uh, I every time I was in London, um, I would go along to the Buddhist Society and pick up a few um, free pamphlets and uh, occasionally buy a book. And um, I, uh, when I was 18 or 19, I think, yeah, I think I was 18, I moved up to London and um, there was a guy who was a neighbour of mine who collected um, antiques from... Jumble sales. I, I'm sure you have a word for jumble sales, but garage sales. Yeah, we call them garage sales here. Well, if yep. if, if it's not just one person's garage, it's lots.
0: Oh, of oh, oh, oh. So, yeah, we call those swap meets.
1: Well, th- there you go. Yeah, and um, he used to go to about three every Saturday morning, and he would just. Breeze into one, go oh yeah that, and then leave with it. Go to the next one, and say oh, I want that and that, and then um, when uh, by lunchtime he had uh, uh, acquired uh, several of these a- antiques, and um, he would come along to where I was living. He just lived uh, five doors away, so he would come along and show um the the articles that he bought and these were things like um uh mary gregory glass which is now very very much sought after not so much in those days um and um oh a sable coat which he gave to my girlfriend and um this one day he came by with a a brass Object which had um, three blades, which came to a point, blunt, very blunt blades, and you wouldn't cut anything at all with them. Well, maybe blumange, but uh, <laughs> but nothing, nothing of any more substance than blancmange. Um So, in the center of it, there was a dourge, a uh, um, a representation of a thunderbolt, and at the, the other end to the points, there were the three faces of a deity surmounted by a horse's head. Now, this was absolutely um, oh, I seem to have lost you just a moment. There you, you go, see me now. Okay, um, and these were totally baffling to me. Um, but this, my neighbor said, I think it's Mexican. What do you think? And I said, well, I have no idea what it really is, what it's used for, but I'm pretty sure it's Tibetan. Uh, I, and he said, oh, no, no, I'm sure it's, it's Mexican. Um, and I said, wait, I've got a book that I, I've borrowed from the Buddhist society. And it's got a picture of one of those. So I went up to my bedroom and brought this book down and showed it to him. And he was looking at the book, looking at the object. And he said, I think you're right. It is one of those in the picture. Well, well, then you can have it then. And I, I objected saying I couldn't possibly afford it. And he said, oh, no, it only cost me pennies. So you can definitely have it. And then I was stuck with this uh, this object, which was called a purva. And I, uh, I, I took it into the Buddhist society and I said, um, do you have any uh, books on Tibetan ritual implements? Because I think this will be in it. And they said, oh, no, you've read all three books on Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, this was the librarian, Pat Wilkinson. She was an amazing Person who had hitchhiked to Burma in the 1920s hmm. to uh, study meditation with the um, with, with the Burmese monks. Wow! Yeah, I know. Um, it's like <laughs> that.
0: Also, people. also, also, where Ellen Bennett studied, I think.
1: Yes, when, yes, yes.
0: Ceylon. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and Ceylon. Yeah, and uh, so uh, she said, uh, "You've read everything we've got on Tibetan Buddhism, but." As it happens, there's a Tibetan lama who has just moved into London and he's uh, he's staying at a uh, youth hostel, a Quaker youth hostel, I should point out. And uh, um, if you like, I'll give him a call. And she, um, she phoned him and uh, uh, arranged for me to go over there that afternoon, immediately leave there and go over to this youth hostel, and um, he was quite quite young, um, 12 years older than me, and um, he made us both a cup of tea, and, uh, and we had uh, a reasonable chat about the purba. His English wasn't very good, I have to admit, and he's still alive. He is, I saw him just a couple of years ago, and his English hasn't improved an awful lot in the <laughs> okay. um, so um, eventually he told, taught me Tibetan and um, huh. um, so after that after that meeting I said, um, well, it was really interesting could I see you next week? And he said, yes of course come along next Friday and so um, for the next seven years I saw him, all day Friday, um, and eventually he got a job at the British Museum, and I had to s- stop uh, these these Friday visits.
0: So you were so you you just so I'm clear. So you officially kind of started training in a Tibetan lineage this way. Yes. Okay. Um, and what which yeah. lineage which lineage did was he from? You- okay. Interesting. Uh-huh. So that, that's quite a, that's, you, you went straight to the center of
1: it. Right. Right. Um, but not by any uh, intention on my part, it was purely accidental. Hmm. Um, <laughs> well, if you, uh, if you concede that there are such things as accidents, that is.
0: Uh, <laughs> Hard to believe sometimes. Yes. Uh, so, and then at some point you became ordained as a lama.
1: I, well, first of all, in 1970, May the 1st, 1970, I was um, ordained as an upasaka, um, an ordained layman. And that's when I took the five pencil vows not to kill, not to lie, not to steal, not to. Uh, commit adultery and not to drink alcohol. Now, um, this was the uh, the, the, this is the way the five vows are taken in in Tibet. Uh, Other more modern um, versions of Buddhism uh, substitute alcohol uh, with with drugs. Yeah. uh, And that's not what the, um, the the fifth precept states in its original form. Um, when I had been studying Buddhism for a uh, for some time, um, I, by the way, I also studied Sanskrit and Mandarin Chinese, mm-hmm. um, all of which I I believe helped my understanding of the lineage, and. Um, the more I got into uh, Buddhism, the more I realized that psychedelic um, drugs were used in the Vajrayana. Um, they were generally considered a form of amrita, where amrita it, it means deathlessness. Mridi um, means. Um, to die or death, Uh, ah means not, and ta is roughly equivalent to our suffix-ness. So um, it's not diness, ness (laughs) is what Amrita means. But it's a liquid, it's a a potion, which is um, uh, consumed before initiations and four Ghana chakras, which is the monthly meeting you have with other people who've done the same initiations as you. Um, I should tell you a little story I heard. um, In Trinity County, in fact, there is a large um, Buddhist establishment in Trinity County, which is set up like a, a Tibetan uh, center, and it has uh, stupas and this big statue of Padma um, Padmasambhava, and um, so it was created by a Tibetan uh, called um, chapter Rinpoche, and um, had created this and had uh, used a lot of um, uh, donations to help build this place. And then when it was all finished, he said, fantastic, I'm going to Brazil now and see if I can do it there. (coughs) Which which outraged a lot of the the people who'd been uh, supplying um, the funds for this place eventually uh, he he did uh, build a place in um, in in brazil and um he was quite old actually and he eventually died and when he did the uh, the the money people in california ousted the llama um, he put in his place which he was a, an american uh, not a Tibetan, um, but he was a close disciple of Chakudrup J and uh, um, and so when he was going to leave the center, um, he asked all the inhabitants of the center to come and eat up his larder, drink all of his wine, and and, and uh, dispose of all of the, uh, the the food and drink. Well, I was told this story by someone who was there at the time. And he says that, unfortunately, um, he was an alcoholic. And the the amount of wine they had was uh, enough to uh, whet his appetite and he uh, decided that he needed more wine. Or at least more alcohol, and he went around the kitchen, opening cupboards, looking in drawers, until he found a medicine bottle and it was full of liquid. He uncorked it and sniffed it, and sure enough, it smelled of alcohol, so he downed a lot, he drank it all um, It was in fact a homemade brew um, of Amrita, and it was um, prepared for um, initiations. Where you what was the
0: uh, What was the active ingredient?
1: We don't know. Okay, it, acid uh, or something. Uh, well, it was uh, obviously herbs which are available in Tibet, and. Um,
0: well, that was that's what I was going to ask you I mean when we talk about psychedelic use in Tibet I mean I have so many questions about that but uh, the, the the first one is what what psychedelic were they taking
1: well if we if we read the oh I'll just finish this story first yes he he tripped for five days <laughs> he was out okay. of his brains and um and he saw uh, dakinis, buddhas, and bodhisattvas, and they were all imparting teachings to him. And the... Did he write them them down, I hope? No, he didn't. Because (laughs) he was told by the lama, the one who was leaving the place, he he was told that these were... um, uh, He didn't have... He was told that he didn't have sufficient... Background to understand what was being told to him, and um, so he, he was told basically to disregard the um, uh, the these dakinis and so on. Um, so yes, so, so to get back to your uh, your, your your statement about the. Uh, um, psychedelics available in in Tibet. Well, it seems that if, if we look at the life of Milarepa. Okay. Milarepa, Tibet's greatest yogin. Um, he studied with Marpa, Marpa Lotzawa, the translator. And uh, he was actually engaged in a retreat. He was doing his three-year retreat and he'd only been uh, in retreat for a few months, two months, I think it was, when Dab Mema Marpa's wife, came knocking on his door and said, you have to come out of retreat now. Marpa wants to see you. And uh, first of all, uh, he said i don't believe it it's another one of his tricks and um, i mean having been in retreat with the lama um, on the premises myself um, i think this is quite a reasonable supposition on his part that it, it could easily have been a trick
0: so a, a trick would... a trick to get him to break his meditation yes
1: yes, yes, yes. Okay. a test a test yeah, Will he come out? And um anyway, she <laughs> she she tried several times and she said, No, Mopa says this is a real thing. He's he's got hold of some uh amrita from India. So this must have been a form of amrita which was available in India, which is most likely, I think, mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um Probably, um, still also be cubensis. Um,
0: well, there's also, I, I, having been to India and seen gigantic fields of marijuana growing everywhere, and having had bong losses that were profoundly psychedelic, uh, uh, maybe, maybe they had a hold of that too.
1: Well, yes, but that does have its own name in Tibet. Oh, okay, okay. Um, it's uh, the the, the, the uh, it has several names, in fact, um, and uh, uh, one of the most amusing of them is laughter medicine <laughs> or, or mirth medicine, as a friend of mine suggested. So. Um, I think that was a a standard part of um, the Tibetan pharmacopoeia. Tibetan doctors had um, cannabis on hand. They would give it to depressed patients and so on. So this had to have come from India as um, Marpa was waiting for this and was delighted that it arrived. And... We have a, um, within the Kaju lineage, we have a secret teaching about Milarepa, um, And um, it says that when Mapa offered him uh, the skull cup of Amrita, he was supposed to take a sip, but in, instead not knowing any better, he drank the whole thing. And um, he was. Uh, um, it is said that, that, that the Dakini is present at the initiation, which was in into Chakrasamvara. By the way, who um, I uh, I identify as a uh, um, a mushroom deity. It's in in my book, Secret Drugs of Buddhism. Um, but anyway, he, um, he he was given the name Kepa Dorje by the Dakinis who attended the in initiation. Kepa Dorje means laughing Vajra. And uh, so he must have, he, he, up until this point, up until this point, Milarepa was tormented by um, the thought that he had actually killed people during um, his uh, his rituals and um as um he directed some of his um magical spells towards his his former house which had been uh, um, usurped by um rapacious uncle and um, he it said that he Uh, created a gigantic scorpion who pulled down all the pillars, the supporting pillars of the house, and the house collapsed on everyone. And he he was quite upset by the fact that he he had done this and went to Marpa for um, uh, some kind of expiation of his his guilt. Um, It's unlikely that there was a, a... Giant scorpion, but it's quite likely that there was an earthquake, as um, mm. there are um, tales of, of earthquakes in that region at that time. Um, so, anyway, they, uh, the, the, the Milu was one of the first to uh, um, to have the. <gasps> The 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 real Amrita. Hmm. Um, Later on in his life story, we hear that um, a monk called Gampopa, uh, that that is um, a man from the the Gampo Valley, Um, that's what it means. He went looking for Milarepa and. Found him in his uh, his mountain uh, yoga camp, and um, gave Milarepa a um, a package of tea that he had um, he brought specially as a gift for him. And um, Milarepa was just about to perform a an initiation. Uh, for those assembled and it was initiation into the um uh to a form of vajrayogini and um it was a uh, um, it was a vajrayogini uh, whose um it, the name means uh, um vermilion-coloured. She okay. was the colour of uh, this ore of mercury, which is bright red. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Milareva said, wonderful, thank you, that's uh, it's great, we've got something to share among all the, the yogins here, we'll make tea. And uh, he boiled water and poured it into a, um, a large teapot with the, the, the tea and um, when it was brewing, he urinated into the tea and it tasted delicious as a result. Um, it's not often, you, you know, somebody pisses into your tea and you <laughs> think it's, it tastes great, but uh, these guys did. And, um, and as a result, Gampopa said that this was the Um, most significant initiation he'd had. Um, he'd had various um initiations before this, but had never really felt it. Interesting. Would this have been with the the
0: person who who peed in this tea? Is that I mean, I is that somebody who's taken quite a lot of of mushrooms first, in the same way that you know in uh uh, northern Europe they follow they drink the reindeer?
1: uh, Yes, after
0: they eat the almanita.
1: Well, that's actually actually doubtful. Okay. They do actually drink the reindeer's piss because they're not going to run around uh, following the herd until somebody takes a leak and they put a jug underneath it. No, that's um, uh, the... The reindeer herders, like the Lap and the uh, um, Siberian tribes who herd reindeer, they do take Amanita muscaria. Um, but there's been a lot of um, uh, fantasy based on these. Um,
0: oh, interesting. There was an art installation in New York uh, a few years ago where they locked everyone in uh, an art gallery overnight with a reindeer and Amanita Muscaria, had the reindeer eat the mushroom, and then all the highest sophisticated uh, New York art people drank the reindeer piss and and tripped, apparently. So maybe maybe they were just uh, fooling themselves.
1: I know people who use Amanita Muscaria, and they... They say it is essential to drink the urine, to drink your own urine, in fact. Um, and that's because there is a decarboxylation of ebotenic acid, which occurs in the liver, and it turns the slightly psychoactive, uh, rather more poisonous um, ebotenic acid and it takes that and converts it to muscimol, and so there is more muskimol which is the the hallucinogenic substance there's more in the urine of somebody who has eaten it than is actually mm. present in the mushroom got it uh, so it's um so it is essential, I'm told, to, to drink your own urine, and I, I'm also told that it tastes delicious, just like the people said after they drank the tea that Milarepa had been in.
0: Okay. So this is all is super. So it sounds like, if I'm correct, if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like you spent a lot of time drawing out the psychedelic tradition in Tibetan Or maybe even Buddhism beyond Tibetan Buddhism Did it sound like maybe Had been kept a little On the sidelines or not talked about
1: It is Well um, in, in the 1970s um, I was having A chat with um, my Guru, my lama And um, He said Uh, They tell me that you take psychedelics. Is this true? And I said, yes. And he said, good. And then talked about other things. He didn't (laughs) elaborate on that at all. He just said, good. Now, but there are, there are, at the moment, there are lamas who uh, are quite open about their psychedelic use, um, like Zongsau Chiense Rinpoche, a Bhutanese lama who is a grandson of Dilgo Chiense. Um, he he is, is known to, um, to take ayahuasca. Um, and uh, he's done it at uh, Ghana Chakra Ceremonies he's conducted in Brazil. And he, um, you can see him on YouTube, um, he has several um, videos on YouTube, one of which is uh, in Mexico, it's filmed in Mexico. And about an hour into the talk, he says, I took some mescaline, uh, some, some peyote, he says, some peyote, um, about an hour ago, but I'm not feeling it yet. <laughs> As, but obviously he hadn't done it before because um, uh, the active principle in, in peyote, mescaline, takes two hours to come on it's um, um yeah there is there, there are several psychedelics which take uh, a couple of hours to manifest but uh, um, i was uh, I was curious to um, uh, to know what actually happened to him after uh, after another hour but the when uh, uh, he finished the talk before then um now um now children Trungpa Rinpoche, uh yes. um was uh, active in Britain before he went to the united states and um he was actually my first exposure to tibetan teachers um my my own teacher actually um Grew up with uh, with Trungpa. Uh, Mm -hmm. They they were in um, uh, the the same um, monastery in uh, in uh, eastern Tibet in Kam, and so um, I was at the Buddhist Society um, and uh, witnessed Trungpa Rinpoche telling middle aged. Middle-class women with blue hair. You should really try LSD. And <laughs> That's amazing. At that time, LSD was legal in Britain, hmm. and um, uh, but then at the same time as I, I witnessed this, um, I met somebody, a hippie, who lived in the same house as Trumper and he was. Um, Telling me how they all used to do NSD together. And Trungpa was very critical of, of the others, saying they didn't take it seriously enough. Huh. And um, um, he said that in Tibet, they had something called Dutsi Rilbu, which is Dutsi is uh, uh, Tibetan for Amrita, and Rilbu is pill. So these are amrita pills. Now, they needn't have been mushrooms. Um, Certainly, um, the mushrooms were used as amrita in uh, the early stages of the Vajrayana. Um, But by the 10th century, they were using a concoction of five plants and um, these these plants were known by code names Mm. they were um cow dog um elephant um i can't remember what the fourth one is and the fifth one is man human Mm. so um As they were, they were using several substances. We had to work out what these meant. It seems that cow meant tubensis. Um There are lots of clues to this. Maybe because it grows on cow dung. Yes, that's exactly why it's associated with the cow, and. There is a text, a medieval text from Tibet that says, um, if you can't get cow, peacock is a good substitute. Now, um, it sounds weird that if if you can't get this large mammal, you can use this bird instead. But that's not what it meant. They were talking about two mushrooms. Um there is a uh, there, there, there is a uh, folk tale in um, in India which is uh, concerned with the churning of the ocean. I don't know if you know this myth.
0: Yes, yes, I do.
1: And in the myth, um, Shiva drinks um, the halahala Hala poison, and uh, um, the god Vishnu. Clamps his hand around Shiva's throat, the bottom of his throat, uh, to say, don't dare, don't you dare swallow it. Oh, no, it's his wife, Parvati, who does that. Uh, Vishnu slaps his hand on his mouth and says, don't spit it out either. So that's why Shiva's throat is blue, mm-hmm. because it's been... Oh, that started. part I, I'd heard the story, but that part
0: I didn't realize that his, his wife was strangling him, and that's why it was blue. I just heard that he transmuted the poison, and that his throat then turned blue. Right. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Right. Interesting. Uh, okay.
1: Um, but if you um, if you look at the uh, um, the Hindu texts, you'll see that um, Shiva is interchangeable with the mushroom um Mm. and so uh, the mushroom has a blue throat uh in that the stem is tinted with the psilocyne oxide which is dark blue and um so I, I dwell on this subject in my first book, which was uh, "Secret Drugs of Buddhism," um, which, if anybody is really interested, they um, they could go and check it out. Um, but in, in Tibet, we had um, people like Kepo Dorje, who was the um, who was a student of uh, Gampopa. And he founded a monastery, he founded a, a subsect of the kaju called the Drukpa Kaju, which means the dragon kaju. And he, he founded it because uh, he was in um, the southeast corner of Tibet, an area known in Tibetan as Munyu. And... Um, he found a hillside that was covered in a particular plant which I've not been able to identify um botanically but anyway he ate the roots of this plant and he saw nine dragons um cavorting in the sky and as a result he fa- founded this uh branch of the kaju called uh the dragon kaju, the Drukpa kaju. Um, There are very many uh, stories about uh, the use of psychoactive drugs in Tibetan, but unfortunately, very few have been translated. Hmm. So um, it's possible to have uh, um, a a country of... uh, Tibetan Buddhists who know nothing about psychoactive, uh,
0: right? Yeah, that's that's. I think that's true of maybe lots of traditions. I think it would be really helpful it, it, in that light. I think it would be very helpful, particularly for um, audience members who may not know anything about Tibetan Buddhism or just the basics, um, to to kind of just define, and ideally in. Completely straight, you know, non-mystical language as much as possible, you know, for rational-headed uh, people to i to um, explain what the training is, what the point is, what one is trying to do, and then why psychedelics would possibly be helpful with that.
1: Of course, they're not the entirety of the teachings. It is expected that first of all. Um, the earliest teachings uh, of anybody in a, a, a Buddhist tradition is that you um, you take the earliest teachings of Buddhism, um, Hinayana. Buddhism, it's called by the Mahayana. Mahayana means the great vehicle. And they call this other form, this earlier form, Hinayana, meaning the lesser vehicle. Um, It doesn't call itself the the Hinayana. It calls itself Buddhist. And that's about all. Um, Now, In this this vehicle, you learn to meditate. Mm -hmm. You learn the the two basic forms of meditation, which are uh, tranquility, or shamatha meditation, and insight, or uh, vipassana. Now, um, after a while, after a couple of years, maybe, of practicing the Hinayana path, Mm you're introduced to the Mahayana, and then um, you take the Bodhisattva vow, which um, says that from this point on, um, your entire focus of your practice and of your life really is for the betterment of other people. And so um, you, um, have a um, a ceremony in which you 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 say an elaborate form of the bodhisattva vow that you will put other people first at uh, at every every point in your life, and then every day following that you recite an abbreviated form of the bodhisattva vow. Um, Bodhisattva, by the way, is a uh, Sanskrit word meaning um, enlightened person. And um, after some years of practicing the Bodhisattva path, um, you may or may not be offered uh, another um, practice, which is um, called Vajrayana, which is the... Uh, thunderbolt vehicle. Now uh, the, you have to perform uh, certain um, practices before you are allowed to um, partake of the Vajrayana um, rituals and so on and these uh, um, these preliminary practices are uh, reciting the hundred syllable mantra 100,000 times, um, visualizing and, um, creating with a, um, a plate of copper and, and piles of rice, you, um, you create the, um, mandala of the world and, um, and you do that one hundred thousand times. Uh, there is also, um, um, you know, other processes which you you, you do a hundred thousand times. In the Nyingma uh, the, the Ningma tradition, they have five um, portions of the um, preliminary practices. And you have to do all five a hundred thousand times. Hmm. So, um, this is just to um, uh, to, to ensure the um, uh, the sincerity of the applicant. And once they've done that, they are then eligible for um, the Vajrayana empowerments. Now. In the West, it is not um usually considered essential that the uh, the person has completed their preliminary practices uh, just about anybody can march into uh, uh an empowerment and um I have only been to one um one empowerment where they they've said um well the, the next bit is uh, is secret but we can't tell you because there are some people um who've not done their uh, their their um requirements they've not done their, their preliminary practices and so we're going to have to leave that part out and uh, i i was appalled that these people didn't take the hint and hmm. Get out of there, like, Mm -hmm. so we can have the full teaching. But anyway, um, um, the empowerments have um, three essentials, which have to be, all three have to be present, or it's not an empowerment. And these are um, the... Detailed visualization Of the deity The mantra Of the deity And amrita The amrita is Essential to an Empowerment and if you don't have it Then it's just considered a blessing It's not a real empowerment
0: hmm, Okay interesting That's invalidating Some of the ones I've been to That's so be it So be it so, but then I've I've, uh, I've uh, surreptitiously partaken in, in other such act- before going into other such activities. So it makes me feel better about those.
1: Absolutely, you should. If they're leaving you out, you should fill it in. And <laughs> uh, so, um, yes, there are there are many stories of. Um, Amrita and its effects. Um, I don't know if you know of the great 14th century philosopher called Longchenpa. Yes. Do you know about his first Gana Chakra?
0: I that I don't. And maybe we should say uh and and I don't necessarily know all the details about him either. So maybe let's uh, say for the say from the be say who he was.
1: He was a um a polymath, a um, person who basically um, could do anything he turned his hand to. And he wrote uh, seven very influential books on um, uh, Dzogchen, which is a a very advanced philosophy. Um, And um, when he was a very young lama. He performed the Gana Chakra for the first time. And obviously, as it was his first time, he didn't know exactly how much Amrita to give everybody. But in this um, in this um Gana chakra, um, everybody was so high that they all manifested as deities. Mm. And uh, there, there, were, there were monks and laymen and nuns and laywomen at this, uh, at this um, Gana Chakra. And the, the women, even the, the laywomen uh, who were there, um, manifested as dakinis and gave teachings as the dakinis. The men manifested as, as Buddhas and so on. Um, and he wrote it down just like wow. completely straight-faced as though they had really become dachinis and so on. So it's really, really fascinating to read in his life story of, the, of that episode.
0: I'm, um, I'm curious, I don't, I don't want to interrupt, interrupt the story, but I'm really curious right. about your, your opinion on something, which is that I have often suspected that, particularly with Eastern texts that seem to be magical and describing things like turning into a tiger or levitating and things like this, that a lot of times what they're really talking about is states of consciousness experience through doing practices or potentially um, psychedelics. And I'm, I'm curious what you think of that.
1: Oh, I think that is, um, I mean, sure, there are some stories which are just fanciful, and um, um, say that somebody turned into a tiger um, and expected to be believed. But there are certainly a uh, a great number of stories, um, like, for instance, Milarepa, where um, he and a student were caught in a hailstorm. And um, Milarepa found a Shell on the ground, and uh, he um, he hid inside it to uh, to shield himself from the hailstones. And it says in the in the life of Milarepa that he didn't shrink and the shell didn't get any bigger, but still he was able to, to get inside it. So that sounds like an Amanita muscaria experience where. Um, um uh, size is uh, is very uh, uh, malleable hmm. interesting so, um yeah
0: um and so vajrayana um i think probably by design is always a little bit um you know unclear and obscure and
1: absolutely
0: and, so would it would it be fair to say that it's kind of when the magical, and perhaps psychedelic and kind of tantric teachings start to uh, roll out?
1: Well, in the Vajrayana, um, there are actually seven levels of um, of secrecy. Um, if you go to an empowerment, you may be. Um, granted access to the first of the seven levels. Um, And um, it it really requires that you are a a devoted student of a a teacher who gives you the empowerment and says, and by the way, this means A and B and C and so on. Um, So... I think the final level in all of these is, and this is the drug which they uh, which will give you access to this deity.
0: Mm. You think that's the
1: final level? I, I it probably is. I can't think of anything beyond that. Mm.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so so if I'm right about that, then Vajrayana is more of a you know a, a direct hands-on experience. Shall we say?
1: Oh, absolutely! Yes, yeah. yes.
0: And it sounds very much like Western, um, you know, occult societies or initiatory societies.
1: Um, if I knew anything about Western initiatory societies, I'd probably agree with you. Okay, of just with grade, grades, grades, like, uh, and levels, and that type of thing. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 I know that. Right. Uh, Alastair Crowley used um, uh, various um, substances in his pursuit of uh, enlightenment.
0: Uh, yeah, that he was pretty open about, uh, particularly uh, mescaline and later on either, uh, in addition to cocaine and heroin. But cocaine and heroin, he, he used to alleviate asthma symptoms.
1: So, right, right. Yeah. Um, and, and unfortunately, he got hooked on it. Yeah. Um, but he was initially... Um, given heroin as a uh, uh, as a palliative for his asthma. Mm.
0: Interesting. So, what is the uh, um? There's a really interesting writer that I like called David Chapman, who writes a lot about Buddhism, and he he's a, he's initiated initiated into I can't remember the name of the lineage, but it's a it's a tantric Buddhist lineage in California that's um, fairly famous, I think. Uh, aro something like that aro
1: oh yes um i i do know something about the aro lineage in wales okay um,
0: they seem pretty out there but uh, i am not a vajrayana buddhist so i'm i'm uh, i suppose a, something of a fellow traveler but i don't necessarily even consider myself a buddhist but um the uh He has an interesting phrase that I like a lot called consensus Buddhism, which he uses to refer to as kind of like the cleaned up sanitized version of Buddhism for the media uh, and for, for, you know, most Western people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was in that light, I'm kind of curious, does it is. The use of psychedelics and that type of thing—it sounds like you're what you're saying—is it's it's actually pretty widespread, but presumably that's kind of kept uh, a little bit quiet by the 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 big the big um, you know figures in Buddhism.
1: I believe it is. I, I I've never seen it spelled out um, anything like um, I've done in my books um, and. Um, um in in my first book I, I describe how i believe um psychedelics were used in tibet and um in the the most recent book um it's how you can use psychedelics in buddhist practice um regardless of what they did in tibet this is
0: mm. oh, so you uh, you you spell out recipes
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, oh, okay.
0: What, what what would an example be? And uh if you would be if you would be kind enough to share some of perhaps the more out there psychedelic experiences you've had uh following this type of thing. That would be well, lovely. Um well in
1: 1970, um I was ordained, as I said, on May the first, um into Uh, Buddhism as an Upasaka. Um, A few months later, I was with friends in a place in um, the countryside of Buckinghamshire, and um, we had intended to get um, quite high on Hashish tincture, which was available on the uh, National Health at the time, it was before they had made um, hashish tincture illegal. They'd overlooked it in the 1930s and and, Mm. uh, few people knew. And um, so if you got it on the National Health, it cost you um, like, uh, I would say, less than a dime. It was five pence for a pint. Of, of this stuff and i reckon there was something like 78 76 or 78 doses in that pint and so we had uh, acquired a bottle of this and we're going to um, have an evening of uh listening to music classical music actually by um, um one of my friends was a hi-fi geek and um I had been given a third of a tab of uh, Orange Sunshine. This was the, uh, the, the, the stuff that was made, the LSD, which was made by uh, Nick Sand and Nick Scully. Uh, um,
0: I've talked to at least two people who took that in the 60s, and they said it pretty much uh, completely destroyed their reality and, and flattered hey. them.
1: Absolutely. And I um, I became friendly with Nixam later on in the early 2000s. And uh, I said, it was stated in court that that was actually LAD, which is another lysergic uh, psychedelic, which wasn't illegal at the time. And he said, oh, no, that was just what we told the court. It was actually LSD, but it was a much higher dose than um, was usual. We uh, um, we put 350 um, micrograms in every tablet,
0: which is... Um, for for, uh, for comparison, how much would that be compared to the average tab of acid today?
1: The average tab of acid today is 70 or 80. Okay. Uh, uh, micrograms, and this was three hundred and fifty, so it, it um easily blew the modern stuff out of the water yeah and,
0: and so that's like four and a half, that's like four and a half tabs of yeah, and yeah. we're I'm guessing people were taking more than one tab of that also
1: absolutely true yeah. <laughs> and, um, now the the essential thing to remember about this um uh, th- this brand of acid uh, was that it was to be given away. He made thousands of doses and they were all given away. And uh, the message came through to us is, was that if we find that you've sold any of this, you're not getting any more. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I I, I had this um third of a tab um, of, uh, of LSD and a, a teaspoon of cannabis tincture. And uh, I settled down to uh, listen to Bach's well-tempered clavier, uh, a beautiful piece of music. Um, but it seemed that when I closed my eyes, I saw a three-dimensional world, another, a different three dimensions than what we can normally see, and it was like this was at right angles to our normal perceptions. But in this this three-dimensional vision that I had, there were crystal spheres uh, suspended in space in a regular pattern, like they were atoms in a crystal, say. And each one reflected or refracted, rather, they refracted all the other crystals. And um, in fact, as I examined them more closely, they were only the refractions of the other crystals; they had no intrinsic uh, existence of their own. And, uh, very Buddhist. <laughs> yeah, very Buddhist. Very Buddhist. <laughs> now, uh, I was captivated by this experience and entranced by it, and it made a a, a, a permanent impression on me. However. It was a few months later, less than a year, when I came across um, the writings of Tushin, who founded the um, the Chinese school of Buddhism called Huayan, um, and uh, they, in particular, held the Avatamsaka Sutra um, in very high regard, and actually I've got it I've got it here I could read you the uh, uh, if I could find it um, no it's in, it's not in the uh, in the, the contents but Um, Hua Yen described exactly the experience I had had and um, and I realized that this was a uh, um, either it was either um, either the, the uh, Hua Yen Buddhists had been doing psychedelics or this was a uh, um, a valid um, meditation experience, which um, could, as I found out, be um, engineered by taking LSD and cannabis. Um, I've tried several times since then to repeat the experience by taking an equivalent dose. Of both drugs, but it seems to be what Sasha Shogun would call a plus four experience, one that has a, a mystical impact but can't be repeated.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So that that seems like it definitely left an impression on you then.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, the, uh, I do have an indexing. Let's see if it's... Uh... Nope. <laughs> it's no, not okay. <laughs> uh,
0: interesting. So I, I feel like a lot of people... Um, uh, th- that's interesting that you bring that up, that you were trying to repeat it. I, I, I feel like a lot of people with psychedelic experiences or Uh, Simply spiritual experiences that don't involve um, psychedelics or may even be spontaneous, particularly early in life, uh, spend a lot of effort trying to repeat them. And and that's often one of the reasons why people, I think, get attracted to um, spiritual systems and traditions. Um, But sometimes it seems that those things can't be repeated. And that's just maybe one of life's mysteries. I don't know if you have thoughts on that.
1: Um. I think um, it may be repeatable, maybe it can't uh, be repeated but um, you should just let the experience um, go if um, there are um, there are many experiences which one would like to repeat um, but just simply aren't... Um, a repeatable experience it's just uh uh, it was just um just that evening and that situation i was in um that uh brought this up in my mind i don't know what i would have to do to repeat it but um with all experiences, you should just let them be. Uh, mm-hmm. let them, um, and also, there is another uh, thing about significant experiences in the, uh, uh, the Tibetan Buddhist um, practice. It is permissible to tell your guru about the experience, but only once. Hmm. You tell him once and that's it. Forget about it. Um it's the the more you um remember the experience and say I felt this or felt that, the, the the less real it becomes, the, the more it becomes just a matter of words and not a matter of seeing.
0: It sounds like people
1: might have just been
0: that, that's you know that's very wise as people may have just been getting sick of hearing people's trip stories over and over again. Yes. Yes. Very yeah. much so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's very funny. So one, one thing, one perennial question that I think people have is, can these types of psychedelic experiences be repeatable or, or limited, different word accessible without psychedelics? Because obviously when you combine psychedelics and spiritual practices, you get into some of amazing, places but then you know later on perhaps the thought arises can this be repeatable through other methods and hence the potentially you know the practice of yoga and meditation um and or esoteric yoga even and i'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that like are these is it possible and it sounds like possibly this is the case is it possible that these experiences are just simply not accessible without without substances
1: i've wondered about that and i think they possibly are accessible, um, but you need to um, be able to train your brain in such a way that they, they are accessible. Um, I think that um, uh, several of the Tibetan um, practices are merely ways of training your brain to, to um, respond in the correct manner. That's interesting. I mean, when you when you think about yogis
0: in Tibet or, or in India who meditate for seven years unceasingly, and uh-huh. maybe maybe modifying their physiology in certain ways as well, you know that that's always the, the question of what's what you know what what's happening in their brains.
1: Right, right. Um, and I've actually met yogins who have spent um, twenty one years in retreat Um, a yogin who um, went into retreat and uh, came out after seven years and uh, he learned that the Chinese had invaded Tibet and said, oh, I'm going back into retreat and stayed another seven years, um, uh, came out and found the Chinese were still there, Went back into retreat. And eventually, when he emerged after that one and found the Chinese were still in in Tibet, he said, Oh, screw it, I'm going to Nepal. And that's how I met him. Okay.
0: Well, that, that's that raises another question, which is, you know, obviously so so many of the Um, so many Tibetan practitioners did go to Nepal or India or the U S or Canada or Australia or other places, Uh um, how it seems to me as an outsider, that there's actually a lot of money behind preserving the Tibetan traditions and publishing and publishers like Shambhala and things like this. Um, but my question is how much of the tradition is in danger of just being lost uh, permanently because of the Chinese occupation?
1: I think that there's um, quite yeah. a lot of the tradition which has been preserved. Um, the, um, the practice of taking drugs um, has always been um a, uh, a secret practice in Tibet. In fact, if we look at other um, drug taking traditions, we see that are, um, they've spilled the beans uh, quite freely. But in Tibet, they, um, they manage to keep their lips sealed. Mm-hmm. Um, if we look at Japan, for instance, In the ninth century, there was a scroll um, created called the Chojo Mandara scroll. And Mandara in Japanese is actually Mandala in Sanskrit. It's just their attempt at writing Mandala. Um, Unfortunately, they have a problem with their L's. So in this Chojo Mandara scroll, there are several deities um they are drawn their their um uh, mantras are given a uh, uh, written description is given of the deity and also there are um there are drawings of their ayutana versions ayutana is a sanskrit word which means uh, um the, the the secret appearance of, of the deity. And there is a deity there in the Chojo Mandara scroll. One, I'm, I mean, there are dozens. I'll, I'll choose this one as a particularly good example. Um, he is holding he, he is a uh, one of the Ushnisha deities, there's a set of eight Ushnisha deities. And he's holding a lotus in his left hand. On top of the lotus, there is, it says in the text, it says, and there is a parasol on top of the the lotus. Um, But what's there doesn't look like a parasol at all. Um, We have to remember that the the very word uh, for mushroom was forbidden in ancient India. And Mm. Why? Why? Why is that? Why is that? Oh, it was a religious prohibition. The Brahmins used mushrooms in uh, their rituals, like it's described in the. the Rig Veda, but they don't actually describe what they're taking, what the Amrita or Soma or Um Shukra or whatever the word they use for it. Was uh, that a caste thing?
0: Like that was they wanted to say that it was not it was forbidden to other castes.
1: Yes. Well more yeah. or less. Um religion was forbidden to other castes. Yeah funny. Religion <laughs> was, was practiced only by Brahmins. And um Religion, uh, period. I'm sorry. Religious practices, period,
0: were only for yes. Brahmins. Wow. Yes. Yeah.
1: That's um, yeah, they, No one, no one else practiced religion. If you wanted a religious ceremony done, then you hired a bunch of Brahmins to do it. And um, well, when we're talking about religion, I mean, we're, we're,
0: we mean kind of uh, like Homa ceremonies and the big Indian-style ceremonies. I mean, presumably there were spiritual practices for non-Brahmins. I mean, of, of different types.
1: Nope. None? Not in the Aryans. No. In the indigenous Indians, yes, they were. But, okay. the, but the, the five Aryan tribes invaded India about 2500 BC. And in their, in, in their tribe, in their tribes that they, they eventually amalgamated and they created a, a, a language from their five languages. The new language was called Sanskrit, which means the perfected one. And um, uh, Sanskrit um, was this wonderful new language they created, except it didn't have a word for mushroom. And um, and, uh, and only the Brahmins practiced their religion at all, and they were hired by um, members of other castes, the kings, the warriors, the farmers, and so on. They were hired to do their religion. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, they performed um, the Agnihotra, the, the, which is the fire ritual, at which they consumed soma. We don't really, we can't definitively say what Soma was, but I believe it, it's pretty obvious that it was um, a mushroom of some kind and probably Amanita muscaria. The The god who um, um, personified this Amanita muscaria mushroom Um which is the red one with white spots, if, uh, if anyone doesn't know. Mm. Um, the god who who personified that mushroom was Rudra. Now, uh, the name of Rudra, um, it could mean the howler, or it could mean the weeper. Um, so um, both of these effects of uh, both of these uh, um, uh, can be seen as the effects of the amanita muscaria. Sure. The weeper, because it actually makes you uh, secrete more oh. tears. Oh,
0: okay. I thought that was straightforward. Uh, people having uh, emotional moments, but okay.
1: No, anybody. I I've tried amanita muscaria just once, and. Um, I was not impressed, but apparently you're supposed to drink your urine, and I didn't do that. (laughs) Um, But I had um, tears running down my face with no emotional content. It was merely um, um, gushing tears. Now, after a little while of of living in northwestern India, they came into contact with... The indigenous people who had their own mushroom deity. And um, the indigenous mushroom deity was known as Shiva. And um, eventually, in the the Vedic period, these two were equated. Mm -hmm. Shiva was probably Silasabi Cubensis. And he, the the god, adopted a lot of the. and the earlier gods um, attributes and in fact later we see the um, the rise of vajrayana buddhism and in particular there's a uh, a very popular bodhisattva in buddhism called avalokiteshvara and this is actually a borrowing of shiva Avalokiteshvara was originally um, Lokeshvara, who is a Mm. local form of Shiva. Now, that's fascinating. I did not know that. Oh, it's in it's um, it's in a very expensive book, (laughs) uh, which is the 15 volume um, description of Buddhist deities by Lokesh Chandra, the the great um, Scholar of uh, um, Buddhist iconography. Oh. And he, he points it out in there. And, and uh, there's a few other things that are really remarkable that he points out. Um, now, Avilokiteshvara, in his, uh, his um, ten headed, um, six armed form, you'll see that he wears a deer skin over his left shoulder. And he carries a vessel um, in one hand and a, a bow and arrow in another hand. These are all Rudra's attributes. Um, they've been borrowed from the early Vedic, um, uh, the the Rudra as depicted in uh, the early Vedic period. Um, The the vase of liquid or the the pitcher of liquid is especially interesting here, as in the the 1890s, the Asiatic Society of of Bengal actually worked out from linguistic roots it was um, not intended to be uh, anything at all about drugs they they actually um deduced that the uh jalasa in the in the, the, the picture held by rudra um was actually urine mm. and um uh, so anyway this was borrowed into buddhism just as um many other um shiva um, forms, uh, forms of Shiva that is, uh, were borrowed into to Buddhism under different names, many, many names, uh, especially Vajra Vajrabhairava, um, Isha, Ishana. Um, oh, there, there, there's a dozen common ones. Uh, well, just, just that comment that
0: avalokiteshvara uh, was, Lokeshvara uh, fundamentally changes my perception of so many things. Uh, profoundly. I'm very grateful for that teaching. Uh, That leaves me, I have to ask, what else is in that book that uh, you can remember that is so uh, uh, profound on that level?
1: Oh, um, in in the latest book or the earlier one? The
0: the 15 volume, you said there were some other things in there.
1: Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, There are, um, like, for instance, Amitabha, um, it's generally passed that the name Amitabha is generally passed as meaning um, measureless light. Abha is radiance, uh, Mita is to measure, Ah, not. Immeasurable radiance. Uh, however, uh, Professor Lokesh Chandra says, no, that's not really. Um, where it comes from, it comes not from Sanskrit, but from Prakrit, and in Prakrit, it means. Um, uh, so it, uh, it 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 directly refers to the the the, um, the the substance, and it it says that it's the. Um, uh, immeasurable substance that uh, um, that was used in rituals like the amrita um, so um, what else is in the oh. well there are there are a few um, um a, a few uh, other um, clues about the, uh, the 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 various drugs that we used, hmm. uh, but I don't have the fifteen volumes <laughs> right in front of me. They're actually okay. do you remembered anything. They're on the phone, but they're they're locked away in storage.
0: I see. Interesting. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I'm gonna have to think about that. That's, uh, that's a lot, and that's very satisfying for me to hear a bit about uh, Vokishvara, thank you. Um, so, one thing I wanted to oh, ask oh, is- Oh, oh, oh yes. I, I,
1: should, I should mention, I've just remembered another, uh, uh, it's another form of Avalokiteshvara, but he is in his um, one-faced two-arms form and he's shown um, with his left hand in the, uh, uh, the, the, the dhyana mudra, the uh, meditation mudra, and his right hand is on his right knee. And we would think nothing uh, to see that, um, that, that, that deity. It's um, oh, that's just another form of avalokiteshvara But... If you read the sadhana, which describes him sitting like that, it says that um, Amrita pours from his fingertips. Um, so there's mm-hmm. another direct connection of Avalokiteshvara with Amrita.
0: Fascinating. Fascinating. One thing I maybe want to look at this through the flip side, which is we're talking about the use of. Um, psychedelics in essentially controlled environments in finely graded societies with levels and secrets and and, practices and and long preparation and that is of course um you know profound set and setting and also completely diametrically opposed to how psychedelics, psychedelics are usually taken now and and one thing that i was thinking about when you were talking about brahmins gatekeeping psychedelics and keeping it to themselves hoarding it um is how di- how different that is from now when psychedelics are well less so now but generally psychedelics have been seen as an outsider pursuit um but now obviously psychedelics particularly now are so popular and so many people are taking them with no set and setting or ritual context or preparation or initiate, you know spiritual initiation or anything like that Mm-hmm. Um, and and obviously that's been the case since the, since the sixties. What is your take on that spiritually? Do you think that that's a positive thing, or or
1: um, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I think that um, psychedelics shouldn't be available to everyone, hmm. but um, uh, but now that the cat is out of the bag, it's. Um, it's best to um, to come clean and tell the the entire story about how psychedelics were were used in Tibet, and basically, um, my book "Psychedelic Buddhism" um, gives several um, ways in which uh, psychedelics can be used to enhance. Um, your meditation or your uh, experience of Buddhism. Um, i I'm not very uh, um, prescriptive in my uh, my descriptions of uh, what practices to do it's um it, it, I'm, in the, the book I have um, left it to people t- generally to gauge how much of the ritual they want to, um, enact and, um, how much of the psychedelics they want to merge with their rituals. The, r- the rituals in your, in your book,
0: uh, do you need to be an initiated Buddhist to do them, or It yeah. sounds like you can just go straight to it.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, so the rituals of like, for instance, the, uh, um, the basically internal ritual of the four Brahma Viharas, um, which is um, the, the four divine abodes. And these are love, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And uh, this is something which has been perpetuated by Buddhism. But the Buddha said he didn't uh, come up with this himself. He learned it from a teacher in the forest where he went to meditate after leaving the palace, and he learned it from a gentleman called Alama Kalama, which is a ridiculous name. It means um, um, vowels and consonants, which is that's basically okay. what they mean. So he's uh, – um, I don't know why he was called vowels and consonants, but that was Kalama is his name. And uh, that's who taught the Buddha, the four Brahma-viharas. Interesting. Well, maybe we should start to uh, draw, draw to a close
0: then. But I, I want to, this has been a, a fascinating and a, a awesome talk. I, I wanted to ask maybe, and people want to start to kind of go, explore this, this side of things, whether or not it involves Buddhism, but certainly the combination of psychedelics with ritual. I want to ask you how you think people should start to go about that, and also critically, what people should not do.
1: Oh, um, one thing they shouldn't do is, um, is take psychedelics after they've um, um, they, they've been drinking alcohol. Um, I think a little sip of alcohol is fine, but don't get drunk and then take out, uh, psychedelics. Um, it's very much up to the reader, how much they, they want to take on, um, i actually um give various uh, various meditations followed with um uh, various aspects of uh, buddhist culture um although the these are um, like all things in buddhism they're not to be um held as uh, as inviolate they're not to be uh, um, hang on to like the, this is what is real and the rest um is you know made of papier mache or something you know it's this is the 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 whole world right here right now is um is what is real and um uh we should uh, behave with a uh, um reverence to what is around us and um, um, I think we should preserve these experiences, psychedelic experiences for maybe once or twice a year. Mm, Okay. Take you a while to uh, absorb the the lessons that the psychedelics have taught you. And um, it it is sometimes a matter of months before the the actual lessons become um, part of your life. Um, And so I would say keep the the psychedelic experiences um, fairly infrequent and to to use the um, uh, the practices I've got in this book uh, to help you investigate them and to uh, to sit with the experiences while you're having them. Wonderful. Um, that sounds that sounds like good advice. I think
0: most people that I know that uh, persist in in doing psychedelics for for longer than a few years tend to seem to come to that one or two times a year thing. Right. Um, so um, we should wrap up. My dog is demanding that I walk him and he will not, he will not be denied. Um, but please tell us about where people can find out more about you and your two books or, or any, any other books or anything else you want to mention.
1: Um, My first book is called secret drugs of Buddhism. Uh, this one is called psychedelic Buddhism. Um, and I do have a website. It's um, it's been um, mangled by the uh, the, the uh, ISP, the internet service provider I'm using. Um, so it's very difficult for people to get in at the moment. But um, it's um, it's called Amrita Dzong. A M R I T A D Z O N G, and that's. Um, uh that's what my own teacher calls his organization in Great Britain. And this is just a uh, an offshoot of that.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much for having that conversation. That was uh, wonderful. And I, I definitely learned a lot. And uh, I hope people check out your books after they hear this. Oh, I hope so, too. All right. All right. Well, yeah. Thank you again for, for talking. Was, oh, was it's a been great. fun. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye now. All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. I definitely had a lot of fun in that conversation. Meet us at magic.me, dot Me. my school for magic, meditation, and mysticism, where you can learn all the skills you need to unleash your true self. I will see you in class, and until next time, hang in there.